Before we get uh, before we get started this morning, uh, hopefully every one of you got one of these when you came in. Uh, if you didn't, if you don't have one, uh, if some of our ushers wouldn't mind uh, making sure that everybody has one, I think we tried to make sure before we got started that everybody did. But if you could slip your hand up if you don't have one, uh, we're going to work our way through this this morning, and uh, we'd love to put one in your hand so you know uh, what's going on. It appears that you guys did a great job passing them out in the beginning. Thank you. I don't see anybody else's hand other than the ones that y'all saw. We all good? All right. You guys look the same if you're good and if you're not good. So uh, we'll just assume that you're good. Let's go to the Lord in prayer and we'll get started. Father, we thank you for your many blessings. Lord, we thank you for the music this morning. We thank you for your Holy Spirit, which fills this place each and every time that three or more are gathered in your name. Lord, we thank you. Uh, that you promise to go with us wherever we go. And God, it is not out of redundancy that we come to you in prayer, but it is out of a, uh, a need that we have for you to empower us in order to carry out your mission. And so, God, we come to you as desperate servants, longing for your uh, equipping power. And so, God, I pray that you would be with us. Lord, I pray that you would speak through me. And God, I pray that as I uh, share this vision that you've given to me, Lord, I pray that we would be uh, open and receptive uh, to carrying out your will for our lives. And we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Well, if you will take your copy of God's Word and turn to Matthew chapter 28. For those of you who don't know, Jesus was a trendsetter. Jesus didn't walk uh, the same way that everybody that went before him walked. Uh, Jesus, at the end of his life, gave a mission and a vision statement before vision and mission statements were cool, right? Before you hired a uh, consultant to come in and, and give you advice concerning your business, Jesus is the guy who wrote the book on all of that. And so Jesus lays out a vision and a mission for his disciples uh, that is remarkably short, uh, to have lasted over 2,000 years. And so in Matthew chapter 28, verse 18, Jesus says this. And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, and, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And so most people realize that it's at the end of somebody's life that they leave some parting words with you that they want you to carry on with the rest of your life. Uh, many of you have probably uh, seen people in the latter years of their life. Maybe they're in some sort of hospital, hospital bed. They're in some sort of end-of-life scenario, and they pull you close, and they tell you the very last thing they want you to know before they leave the earth. Many a times, it's they want to leave you with the final, I love you, I care about you. Many times at the end of somebody's life, they make amends for the things that they've done previously so that they can depart in peace and so they can leave us that are left behind a sense of peace also so that you make things right with mom or dad before they go or grandma and grandpa before they go. And so Jesus is about to leave and he leaves his disciples with this command. He says, all authority has been given to me. Now I'm telling you to go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, 
even to the end of the age. And so that teaching that Jesus is going to be with them is dependent upon them going and making disciples and teaching and baptizing. Following me? And so this is our mission as a church. Our mission as a church is directly from God the Son when he was leaving to go into the nation and make disciples. And so knowing that that's our mission, and ironically that falls right in line with Abraham's mission, right? God's mission through Abraham, draw the nations of the world together through Abraham. Our mission is to go into the world and make disciples. You see how this, there's still this idea of God drawing the world to himself. Hopefully you do. You guys give me the same look. I'm going to assume you're good to go. There we go. Reba, you're my favorite one here right now. Thank you. Got a thumbs up. So we are going to be launching tonight a church outreach ministry. And the whole purpose of this church outreach ministry is that Jesus told us to go. And we need to be people who are obedient to the words of Jesus. Now, this command to go, there's a lot of, uh, a lot of talk about it. This command to go isn't just a go, get out of here, but it's translated a as you go. While you're going, baptize, make disciples, teach. Following me? I need a few head nods just to stay encouraged. Make sure that you're with me and you're not going to throw things at me. Anyways, so this command to go and to make disciples teach and preach is all exactly what Jesus told us to do. And some of us may not be going and preaching and teaching and making disciples. And so part of what we're going to do as a church is we're going to give you one set apart time that where we go as a group and we go together. And the hope is that during this hour that we take each month, I'm asking you for one hour a month, is that during that one hour each month where we get together and we go, hopefully that one hour a month will transform the rest of your month and you will will be comfortable going and taking the gospel where you go throughout the rest of the month. So it's not that we're going to take this one task, boil it down to an hour a month, and then that's going to be the end of it. But hopefully this hour a month helps to train you and encourage you to go and be what you're supposed to be throughout the rest of your life. So when you go, whether you go on vacation or whether you go to the golf course, wherever you go, you're taking Jesus and you're teaching him as you go. And so what is this going to look like? At the very top, I've got a purpose for this ministry. There's three purposes. One, to follow up with all the guests of our church and inactive members. Okay? I have a list here. These these lists, in case you're interested, are posted uh, in the fellowship hall. Mine have super secret deacon notes written on them, which you don't get to see, right? I'm just waiting until you loosen up a little bit. Mine have notes on who's active, who's inactive. This is the first team list. 24 of the 46 names on this list are inactive. This is the second list. Team two, 28 of 51 names on this. You see the yellow? Even you guys who can barely see, this probably just looks like a yellow blob. 28 of 51 names inactive. Third list. This is the the good deacon list. Blunt, Milton, and Jack Williford. 17 of 47. So you guys are doing the best, right? They'll get the gold star at the deacons meeting tonight. But this is the best list where we have 17 out of 47 that are inactive. And so we have a bit of a, a problem, if you will, in the church where we have a lot of inactive members. And so this is an impossible task for nine men to take on by themselves, the deacons. And so what we're going to do is we're going to broaden this and our whole church is going to get involved, hopefully, with the outreach ministry of our church. And we're going to reach out to these inactive members and try to bring them back in. You with me? 
Some of them may have very good reasons for being gone. Some of them may need to be gone, right? Some of them may need some of us to go tell them, remind them that we love them and we care about them and that we want them here. And that's going to be the plan with, the, with uh, this outreach. So that's the first purpose. Second purpose is going to be to visit the sick or the shut-in. Let me go to Matthew chapter 25. So turn a couple pages back. Matthew 25, verse 31. Matthew 25, 31 says this. But when the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, then He will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate them one from another as the sheep separates, excuse me, as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats and he will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, come you who are blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Isn't that something that you would want to hear when the shepherd comes? That's something that you want to hear. For I was hungry, verse 35, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. Naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him. Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? Verse 40, and this is where it should hit home. The king will answer and say to them, Truly I say to you, to the extent that you did it to one of these brothers of mine, even the least of them, you did it to me. And so Jesus makes it very clear that when we serve brothers and sisters in Christ, even the least of them, the king says, when you did it to them, you did it to me. And so part of the purpose behind going and visiting the sick and the shut-in is because he says, when I was sick, you came to see me. And when I was a stranger, you invited me in. And so we're going to visit people who visit our church. And we're going to invite them in. We're going to go and we're going to see our sick. And many of you, let me just go ahead and throw this out there. Many of you already do a good job seeing a lot of our sick people. I mean, we have people, uh, Milton does a phenomenal job. I don't even know if, there he is right there. Milton does an excellent job. I hope, actually, I'm your pastor and I wish I did as good of a job as Milton did. He puts me to shame. Uh, when they talk about going and visiting people, I was talking to John this morning and John was telling me of people that he went to see this week. And so hopefully that this isn't something that I want to replace what some of you are already doing, but I want to get the rest of us on board and we do it as a body and not just as individuals. And so there's a, this is the reason behind while we follow up with our guests, we're going to go get our inactive members. We're going to seek we're going to, excuse me, we're going to visit the sick and shut in and then go over to a couple pages to your right, Luke chapter 19. And this might be the one that some of you uh, not struggle with the idea of, but this might be one that you struggle with actually going and doing the most because this is one that, that is the most uh, difficult to do. We're going to try to seek and save that which was lost and we're going to go around to people in this community that live very close to our church steeple, much like the song that Jonathan and Betsy sang. We're going to go to people who are within the shadow of the steeple of this church, to people who can hear the chimes every morning at nine o'clock. And I believe they play at five o'clock in the afternoon also. But the, the, everybody that can hear the chimes of our church, we want to knock on their door 
tell them who we are and what we're about and who it is that we serve. And so the reason for doing this comes out of Luke chapter 19, 1 through 10. And this is about Zacchaeus, but it's the very end that I want you to get a hold of. This is Jesus. He entered Jericho in verse 1 and was passing through. And there was a man called by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and he was rich. Zacchaeus was trying to see who Jesus was and was unable to because of the crowd, for he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree in order to see him, for he was about to pass through that day. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down today, for I must stay at your house. And he hurried and gladly and came down and received him gladly. When they saw it, they all began to grumble, saying, He has gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. Zacchaeus stopped and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, half of my possessions I will give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will give back four times as much. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because he too is a son of Abraham. Listen to verse 10. For the Son of Man has come to seek and save that which was lost. And so Jesus makes very clear with Zacchaeus, a guy who nobody liked. He was viewed as a sellout to his people. He was a tax collector. So that meant that he was collecting taxes for the Romans and his people didn't like it. And so even the people, even the person that people didn't like, Jesus said, my purpose here is to seek and save that which was lost. And so it doesn't matter who somebody is or what they look like. It is Jesus's purpose to seek and save them. And so that's the threefold purpose of what we're going to do with this church visitation. Excuse me, with this church outreach that we're going to do. We're going to visit our guests and our inactive members. We're going to visit the sick and the shut-in. And we're going to seek and save that which was lost. So you say, right, good idea. It's one thing to have a vision statement, right? Say, hey, this is this grand idea of what we're going to do. But sometimes we need a plan. We need a what we call maybe a mission statement about how we're going to actually pull off this grand idea. Because hopefully all of you would agree that this is a good idea, right? And those of you not giving me any head nods, I'm just assuming that you don't want anybody else to come to church. Now, so now I'm not going to assume the best of you. I'm going to expect the worst of you. So this is how we're going to go about it. Um, Process. Our whole church. Everybody. Now, when I'm telling you about the process and you're sitting there and you're thinking, is he talking about me? Yes. If you can hear my voice, even if from this point forward you put your fingers in your ears and you say, I can't hear your voice anymore, I'm still talking to you. With me? If you consider yourself a member of this church or if you come here on a regular basis and you just haven't joined yet, I'm talking to you. Everybody got me again? All right. This is what we're going to do. We're going to meet here tonight at 6 o'clock. All of our um, our youth program is going to take part in this. Also, the only thing, the only people who are not going to be involved with this ministry are those who are actively serving with our team kid ministry, right? And so that's Jonathan, Betsy, and their helpers. Now, I suspect that at the end of today, you're going to have a lot more volunteers to uh, to get out of what I'm pushing, but... That's still a good thing. And so we're all going to meet here at 6. And from 6 to 6.15, we're going to have a time for you to ask a question. Maybe you're not comfortable with something. It's going to be a chance for you to ask any questions. And I'm going to give you a brief 15-minute training, right? And then at 6.15, we're going to be done. And we're going to give you names of people. And we're going to send you off to see them. And this is the way we're going to do it. There's a first group of people. These people might not be comfortable going out and seeing people. So I'm going to split up into three different groups. This is the first group. You may be shy. 
you may be shy at church and then you get to Bojangles and you're the loudest one in Bojangles, but for whatever reason, you think that you're shy, right? And you're nervous going and seeing people. We've got something for you to do. In outreach, we're not just going to be going and seeing people, but we're going to make phone calls to people who are too far for us to go see. We have a stack of cards here. These people are, uh, they're in rest homes or they're shut in. And I'm also going to include any missionaries that our church supports. And any of our college students are going to be in this. This will be the first time as a college student you've ever been in the shut in category. But anyways, these are people who are not actively able to get to our church on a given Sunday. And so you You who may not be comfortable going and seeing people, you can write a letter to a college student telling them that we miss them and that we care about them and encourage them, right? I was thinking about, uh, I was thinking about Nini's son, Chad. Chad comes home from school, uh, every so often on the weekend. I talk to him. It's like we never missed a beat. I, I go get him and get him to help me move something heavy. But when he's gone at school, he's gone. And I don't talk to him while he's at school. And most of our college students go off to school and we don't have anything to do with them. And sometimes we wonder why they fall away. And maybe it's because we sent them off to college and didn't do anything with them. But this group of people is going to be able to write letters and make phone calls, encourage our missionaries. There was a a young lady who came from across the street at the Lutheran Church, and she did a presentation here for the WMU. And all of you knew her and you knew that she was a missionary. But how often did we send her a letter encouraging her? How often do we as a church say we're proud of what you're doing? Keep up the good work for our king. And so this is once a month we're going to do things like that. So if you're not comfortable going and seeing people, bring a pen and you can write letters to people. Now, there's another group of people. And also, if you plan on coming and making phone calls, bring your cell phone with you. Okay? Because we don't have a phone in the fellowship hall. And so bring your cell phone. Now, the second group of people, you may not be comfortable going door to door, but we have a list of you, excuse me, you may not be comfortable going door to door, knocking on people's doors who you have never spoken to before, but we have a list of people who are inactive and most of you know them. Did you hear that? That's, that's all the inactive members of our church and you know most of them. And you know most of their stories. And you may know why they don't come anymore. And so if you're not comfortable taking the gospel to somebody's house, I want to give you one of these cards or two of these cards. And I want to send you to an inactive member's house. And so that you can tell them, hey, we care about you. And we are we are doing something here at Keshaw Baptist Church. And we want you to be a part of it. And so that's going to be for you in the second group. Uh, we want to send you to those people. And maybe you're not comfortable going to an inactive member's house. But we have this list of people who are sick who are within driving distance of us and not many people come to see them and so we will send some of you to their uh, whether they be at the rest home or whether they just be in the house and can't get out we will send you to their house just to tell them we're here because we care about you and you can talk about them you can talk to them don't talk about them while you're there that would be a bad thing but i just want you to talk to them and, and carry on with them fellowship now third group of people Your third group of people, uh, this is a census. This is a 2010 census. And uh, what they do is, or what I asked them to do was to put a pin where our church is and then take a mile radius around where our church is and tell us how many houses are within one mile of our church, right? Because as the song that Jonathan and Betsy sang, there's a ton of people within the shadow of our steeple who are lost and they're lonely and they're hurting. And so what do they do? So they turn to alcohol and drugs and they turn to 
bottles, pill bottles, and all sorts of other things to fill that void in their life. And the reality is, is that they don't need all of those other things. They need Jesus. It's a good time for a head nod. Jesus is the one who fixes people. People don't get off crack cocaine because of programs. They get off crack cocaine because of Jesus. People don't stop being deadbeat husbands because of a program and because of accountability. They get, they stop all of that stuff because of Jesus. There is power, power, inerrant power in the gospel. And we have it. We've got it. And we need to be people who are willing to give it to other people who need it. You remember before the Super Bowl, I showed you that video? And there was about, um, there was three different guys. The smallest guy was the quarterback. But you've got a 300-pound uh, diesel black gentleman who's a lineman. And he says, you wouldn't believe what it's like to be in the NFL. You wouldn't understand the loneliness that comes even if you win the Super Bowl. Do you get that? That it's possible to be an elite athlete in the NFL and go home after a game and be lonely? There's nothing elite about our town. I like it, but it's not, it's not big. It's not elaborate like a Charlotte or somewhere like that. And there are thousands of lonely people around us. This survey, or excuse me, this census says that there are 864 households within one mile of this church. 864. And I guarantee you that the Jehovah Witnesses who follow a false religion have knocked on every single one of those doors. And we say what they have is false, but we never follow up behind them to tell people what the true gospel is. And so the point of this third group, and we probably will take us a little while uh, before we actually get this third group off, up and off the ground, because we as a as your church leadership, myself and the deacons, we've decided that we're going to visit these people first. We're going to visit the inactive people first, and then we're going to go to the other people's doors and try to get them also. But we thought that we would be doing these people more justice if we visited them first. And so that third group of people is going to go door to door, and they're going to take the gospel to people. And so what does this look like? What's kind of the overarching plan? Well, there's 864 uh, households, I told you. And if we have 100 people... We have a hundred people show up for church visitation and why wouldn't they? Because more than a hundred of you are here now who I'm asking to come. And so why wouldn't you come, right? If you like it here and you believe that there's power in the gospel to save lost people, that someone can be lost and rebellious towards God, they can get the message of the gospel and they can be saved and their whole lives be transformed. Why wouldn't you want to tell anyone about that, right? If a hundred people show up and we get together into groups, because I'm not going to send you out alone, and we get into groups, and let's say that with a hundred people, we get into groups of about three, and three people go out, that gives us about 33 groups. But let's call it 31, because maybe we might come six people shy of our goal. So let's say that we make 31 groups. If 31 groups visit two homes, if we break up into 31 groups, and each group on a one-hour time slot on a Sunday night, one Sunday night a month, if we visit two homes apiece, that gives us 72 homes a week, excuse me, a month that we visited, right? 31 teams each visit two houses. That gives us 72 houses each month. At the end of a year, we will have visited every single home within a mile of this church. I did my math wrong. 61. Dog on it. I said it wrong. Anyways, Get your fannies here and get on a team and go out and visit folks, right? 
Thanks, Mike. I know Pam is back there boiling. Her skin's boiling, right? (laughs) Whenever I do math from up here, Pam just, I know she just cringes. Why? Why didn't I ask him when I interviewed him if he could do math? Why was that an oversight? That's a good question for you next time, Pam. Anyways, forget my math. The problem, the deal is, is if we as a church, all jokes aside, if we get into groups and we visit 72 houses, so that means if 35.5 groups, like that, that was on the fly. If we get into those groups and we visit 72 houses a week, that means every house within a mile of this church we can visit within a year. And would you agree that that's a good thing? You see, the Mormons and the Jehovah Witnesses that go around door to door, they are not the enemy. Not at all. They are deceived people who are doing what our ultimate enemy, Satan, wants them to do. We believe that we as children of God, as believers in this book, have the true gospel. And if we genuinely care about the people around us, we will care enough to take it to them. I wonder how many people can see our church steeple from from their house and would wish that somebody would come and invite them here where we claim that we have all of this joy, we have all of this hope, and we have all of these other things in Christ. I wonder how many people long for the day that we show up and invite them to be a part of us. This is not an easy group of people. Now, you make sure you take this the right way. This is not an easy group of people to walk into. No church is, by the way. And feel at home as a visitor. It is much easier to come and be a part of what we're doing here if someone knocks on your door and invites you. And and personally says, I want you to be a part of what we're doing at Keshaw Baptist Church. It is much easier for that to happen. The church that I grew up in, uh, from 6th grade to 12th grade, I went to Southside Baptist Church. If you go to Edenton and you go straight north on 32, you will almost run into my church. That church was incredible. That's the church where I got called into the ministry. All sorts of spiritual growth happened. But do you know why we started going to that church? Because someone came to our house and invited us. I probably wouldn't be in the ministry right now if I didn't go to that church as a high school student. And so your going into places and inviting people to our church could have monumental effects later on in life. There was a revival that took place uh, 50, 60 some odd years ago. And a preacher asked the other preacher, hey, how'd the revival go? And he says, uh, uh, not too good. Only one kid got saved. Do you know who the one kid was? Billy Graham. Billy Graham got saved at a revival. So I've been told where only he was the only person that got saved. You think that was a wasted revival? How many people got saved since Billy Graham? You've got to wonder how many people God could pull from our town of Windsor, from one mile of this church, that could do monumental things for the gospel if we would just introduce them to Jesus. And then he could take them and make them whatever he wanted to make them into. And so, okay, so how do we do all that? So, okay, maybe I want to do it. Maybe I don't want to do it. This is how it's going to look. When everybody shows up, we're going to give you some pamphlets about our church. Uh, we've got a couple flyers. Uh, they're very simple and they're not in concrete. You don't have these flyers yet. I'll give them to you uh, when you show up tonight. You're going to give them a flyer about our church. Hey, 
Keshaw Baptist Church. This is kind of who we are. This is when we meet. And I have put the Sunday school classes in here so that you can invite them to a specific Sunday school class. I've given them a, a brief word for myself, telling them that if they're not a believer in Jesus Christ, we want to introduce them. And secondly, that uh, I got to make sure what I told them, that if they are a believer, we want them to come here so that they can grow. And they can be a discipled believer. And so those, that's just some of what's in this. So you're going to put this in their hand. And then we're going to have a very small bag of cookies, a baked good, for you to give them also. And the reason we're giving them something is so that we can tangibly say, we love you and we care about you. And that's why we're doing it. And so we'll give them that. And so here's questions. Should I participate? Heck yeah, you should. Because it's a great idea. Yes, all of you are encouraged to participate couple more questions. Should I bring my family? Yes, you should definitely bring your family. Your family is one of the best ministry tools that you have. Um, I take one of my kids usually somewhere wherever I go visiting people. You say, well, my kids might not behave the way that I want them to behave. Teresa, I'm going to put you on the spot. When I came and visited you, who did I bring with me? My youngest son, Titus. And what did I have to keep him from doing the whole time I was at your house? Chewing on your dog's toys. You remember? So the whole time I'm visiting, I spent probably 30 minutes with Teresa because somebody told me, uh, well, actually, all of you told me how great she was, that she had cancer, and she wasn't able to come anymore. So I thought, this is somebody I've got to meet. So I take Titus with me. We're sitting there in the living room, and one toy after another, I'm taking from Titus because he's trying to gnaw on the dog's toys. Did that bother you at all? It didn't bother at all. That's normal. Why? Because two-year-olds chew on dog toys. That's what they do. That's what God designed your two-year-old to do. To pick something up that's on the floor, put it in their mouth, and chew on it. She didn't think any less of me. As a matter of fact, she got healed from cancer. and She came back, and now she's an active part again of what we're doing. So that chewing on the dog toy didn't mess, didn't mess up anything. So you take one of your children, and they, they knock something off a table. People understand that's what kids do. We can replace a lamp. It's going to be okay. Sometimes when you have a family, like if I go into a visit with Jesse and all three of our kids, most of the time we don't even make it into the house. We just visit on the porch. What are you guys laughing at? And that's a good thing because it makes for a shorter visit. We can say, I care about you from the from the porch, and then my kids can walk up the stairs, jump off the porch, walk up the stairs, jump off the porch, and they can run around and they can be kids. Nobody expects your kids to be superheroes. We expect your kids to act like kids. I expect your kids to smell the flowers. That's a way normal thing to do. God knew when he made flowers that they were pretty and kids were going to want to smell them. He probably didn't even have it in his mind that it would bother some of you that somebody would touch the pretty flowers. Because kids are kids and that's what they do. Now, what if I don't have a family? That's okay. Maybe you're single. Maybe your family is, has moved away. You still come. We'll hook you up with somebody. What if I show up and I don't have any idea what I'm doing? I fully expect most of you to show up and not have any idea what you're doing. And that's okay. We'll work at it together. It doesn't take much training to give you somebody's name and to say, go to their house. Tell them that you care about them and you want them to come back to church. And that's it. And then if they have a fish on the wall, you talk about fishing or whatever else. But you just spark up some sort of conversation, enough for you to tell them we care about you. We want you to come back. What do I have to know in order to come? Nothing. You don't have to be an expert at anything. You don't have to have any sort of foundational training. You just 
come and we'll put you with somebody who's comfortable doing what we're talking about. What if I come, do I have to visit someone I don't know? No, you don't. All of these cards are going to be on the table and you can take an inactive church member that you know. You can pick through the names and pick somebody that you know. Uh, Eventually we're going to get to the bottom of the barrel and some of you are going to have to visit people you don't know. But right out of the gate, you can visit people that you know, no problem. And if you don't know them, I didn't know any of you when I showed up to your house the first time to visit you. And that seemed to work. Anyways, what if I'm scared or nervous? I expect you to be scared or nervous because what we're asking you to do is getting most of you out of your comfort zone so it's okay. What if I don't know what I'm doing? I don't know what I'm doing half the time, but we seem to manage and get by, right? You don't know everything. You're not supposed to know everything. It's okay not to know something and try it anyways. So what if I get there and they ask me something that I don't know? I've only met a few of you here that are experts at everything. So for the rest of you that don't have problems, and they all came out of Blunt and Old Sunday School class. (laughs) That's where all of them live. If you want to know something, you go to his Sunday School class. They know everything. I say that joking, but they really do. They really do know everything. Here we go. What if they ask you something that you don't know? You never claim to be an expert at everything, I hope. People ask me all sorts of things on Wednesday night, and I say, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know why people do some of the things that they do. I don't know every facet of of all these other religions. I don't know. I don't know everything about this book. God is infinite. It is impossible for you to know everything about him. And so if somebody asks you something you don't know, that is okay. Go home and learn and then go back to their house and tell them the answer that you came up with. Make sense? That shows two things. One, you're humble. You walk with a a sense of humility about you. And number two, you care about that person enough to go figure out the answer and go knock on their door a second time by yourself and tell them what you found out. What if somebody did that to you? I know the people that knock on my door and try to win me over to another religion, they always say I'll come back, but they never come back. And I'm nice to them, I promise. What if one of them came back and gave you a legitimate answer to a question that you had? That would speak volumes about you as a person and what you believed. And so a couple things just from me. If you are here and you have been saved, that means that you were lost. That means that you were dead in your trespasses and sins and you were bound. You were on a train going straight towards hell. But somebody, whether it was your mom or a family member or some revival preacher, somebody cared enough about you to tell you about Jesus Christ. And you got saved. And when you got saved, you were you were created anew. You were recreated to be like Christ. You were given the Holy Spirit. Your sins were forgiven. And you were set free from that life that you used to live. And hopefully you're not so far away from it that you still remember what it was like when you got saved and all of your sins got washed away. Hopefully you remember that. I remember it being like a weight was lifted off of my chest when I got saved. That I was walking around, didn't realize how bad a shape I was in, and somebody told me about Christ, and I got forgiven of my sins, and I felt like a brand new person. People still want that. And we're going to take it to them. And so maybe you don't know everything there is to know about Jesus. There was a man that Jesus healed that was blind. And they come to him and they say, who is Jesus? And he's like, I don't know. Who is Jesus? And he says, I don't know. All I know is that I was blind, and now I can see. And that speaks volumes. 
When somebody asks you a question about Christ that you don't know, and you tell them, look, I'm not sure about what you're asking me, but I can tell you this. I was a wreck. And then I met Jesus Christ, and my life got turned around, and now I'm a completely new person. Now I'm full of hope and joy and all of these other things. And that will speak volumes to somebody, and that is not a cop-out answer. That is a good answer. And then you go and find, you open his word and you find whatever other answer they want to. But you should be able to tell somebody. You should have your own, I once was blind, but now I see story that you can share with anybody who asks you. Amen? And so that's where we are. Um, Lastly, there's a thousand reasons that you can come up with not to come tonight. A thousand reasons you could come up with. I'm tired, I'm hungry, the kids are crazy, all of these other things. But listen, the bottom line is that Jesus commands us to go into the world and to make disciples. And this is a good opportunity for you to do that. We, myself and the deacons, are asking you for one hour once a month. And this is something that I hope in 20 years we're still doing. One hour once a month and we can reach this town for Christ easily. In closing... There's a pastor down the road. He went out on an outreach visit. He pulls up to the door. And before I tell you this, I want you to know that for the last month, on Wednesday nights, we've been praying for this outreach ministry. We've been praying for people to work in the hearts and lives of people that we're going to go visit. The preacher goes to make a visit. He's driving down the driveway, and the man is on the front porch, and he makes a beeline for the pastor's car. And he, before the preacher can get out and get up to the porch. He says, preacher, you need to get in your car and you need to get out of here. The preacher's like, wow, this is going really well. And so the man helps the preacher get back into the door and leave. You think the preacher's very happy with that visit? Sound like a good visit or a bad visit? Sounds like a pretty bad visit so far. The next week, who do you think's at church? That man that the pastor went to go see. said, but But he didn't say anything. He didn't even invite him to church. Before the pastor's even done preaching the message, this is within 15 miles of our church. Before the preacher's done preaching the message, the man comes down front and tells the preacher, I have to get saved. He's like, what are you talking? We haven't even talked. And he says, I ran you away from my house because I knew what you were there for. I knew that I was living in sin and that God had been telling me to get my life right. And I was afraid to do it. And I didn't want to have anything to do with you when you came. That's why I sent you away. And within a week, no words being said, the man has now come down front and he's given his life to Christ. Because of the visitation ministry? No. Nothing because of that. Because of the Holy Spirit. This visitation, this outreach ministry is simply a vessel for the Holy Spirit to work in your lives and to work in the lives of the lost people around you. And apart from the Holy Spirit, you had might as well rip this thing up because it's worthless. And so come on Sunday night, be a part of what we're doing. We're going to ask God to bless the whole thing and we're going to be diligent with what he gave us. I never claim to have all the answers. I don't think I do. But I want to get to heaven and at least be able to look God in the face and say, I tried. I would much rather be able to look him in the face and say, I tried, than saying, I just didn't even try because I didn't know what to do. And so, if you're here, and maybe all of this sounds foreign to you, 
Because no one has ever asked you if you knew Jesus Christ or not. Let me tell you this. If you have never put your faith in Jesus Christ, if you have never put your faith in his death on the cross to forgive you of your sin and raising from the dead so that you could have eternal life, you are missing out on a life of joy and hope and peace. You see, he, God, sent his son, Jesus Christ, to save us of our sins so that we could have fellowship with him. And he has a life waiting for you that you can't even imagine. But it starts with you putting your faith in him and believing in his son, Jesus Christ. And so if you've never done that, when we close, we're going to sing a song called Rescue the Perishing. This is a good song. We're going to sing. I don't know if I haven't talked to John and Betsy, but we're going to sing all four verses. If the four verses are not on the screen, then you have a hymnal and it's number 299. If you have never met Jesus, if you have never had that feeling of your sins being forgiven, if you have never gone from living life your way to being set free, you come talk to me while we're singing this song. For the rest of you, this should be the song of our heart as we close. This should be what we're all about uh, as a church, rescuing the perishing. Let me close us in prayer, and then you can stand and sing. Father, thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for the blessing that he is to us. And Lord, I pray that if there's anyone here who does not know your son, that you would save them. God, I pray that today would be a day that they look back on and they remember for the rest of their lives the day that they were set free from all of their sin. And so, God, Lord, I pray that we as a church would be willing and ready to do what the song says and rescue the perishing. And so, God, give us strength and, Lord, help us on our way. And we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Before we go, I don't want you to hope, uh, hope that you don't walk away from here hoping that I'm trying to, or thinking that I'm trying to guilt you into anything. I just want to remind you of the joy that you have in Christ and the hopelessness of the world around you. And hopefully that will be enough encouragement to want to take the gospel uh, to the rest of our town. So I pray that uh, you'll give it some thought over lunch. Don't forget when you go to lunch and you say, do you really think he was talking about us? The answer is yes. I was talking about you, but, but nothing. We're talking about you. We want you all to be a part of it. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Brother Bill Powell, would you close us in prayer?